Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast live from Wimbledon on day eight of the championships where, to quote Taylor Swift, I can see daylight. <laughs> Finally, we are recording before it is pitch black. We can still see court number one over our shoulders. We can still see the covers on court number 18. We can still see centre court over in the distance. There are people here still milling around. There are still people on Henman Hill. Don't know what they're watching but they don't seem keen to leave. They're having too lovely a time. It's nice to be here at this time of day, isn't it, Matt? It sure is, yeah. We've got, we've got a little bit of a crowd tonight. Uh, not quite a day one crowd, but we're very pleased to have them. There they are. <laughs> this, this is only possible when it's uh, not 11pm, uh, so we're very, very grateful. And also over there is my new favourite person, one of the security guards who David doesn't know this but he's just been trolled by <laughs> because tell well, us everything he's been he's been here long into the night with us while our podcasts have been going on he was just watching the end of uh, Berrettini Alcaraz with us and at the end he said so your friend was wrong about Berrettini then <laughs> no I wasn't you're a legend <laughs> Tell us why you weren't wrong about Matteo Berrettini, David. Because I said that if they both performed as they did two days ago, it would be a straight sets win for Matteo Berrettini. They did not perform as they did two days ago. Tell us more. I think Berrettini played well, but not as well as he did two days ago. Um, His service, first serves in, was a similar number, actually, which I think is a... A good sign for him. Probably he wasn't putting them in the corners as much with quite as much violence. I think he he started to fatigue, which I think is probably not surprising given how little tennis he's played. But also Alcaraz just asks questions of him that Zverev wouldn't have done. But that was a different Alcaraz out there today. His senses were heightened. It It was like when he played at Queen's and he was poor in the first round and he nearly lost. And then suddenly... He just went to another level. And I think we, we'll go on later to talk about Ernst Jabeur. I think her performance was similar. No two days are necessarily the same. 
And look, yes, I didn't get it right. But then they didn't do what they had done. And I think that this is a really exciting moment for, for Alcaraz. It was an interesting match, this. I felt like there were, there were sparks... Um, sparks flying, if you will, <laughs> to continue a theme, but it never quite caught fire. It is was that a actually lyric? <laughs> it is genuinely accidental on that occasion. Okay. I promise. Um, it, the first set was an, a funny one because I actually felt like that wasn't Berrettini's best set of the match, and I checked the stats to make sure that I wasn't seeing things. And actually, the stats were better for him in the second set that he lost than they were in the first set that he won. It was just one incredibly poor game from. Alcaraz to lose serve that that was the difference in that first set I did feel like Alcaraz really got a grip on the Berrettini serve as the match went along Berrettini's serving numbers were good but Alcaraz was getting his teeth into that serve and he managed to turn he managed to take the tension out of the match Alcaraz he turned it into an Alcaraz exhibition type feel match I felt in the latter stages of the second set and in the early stages of the third bearing in mind at this stage it's a set all in this much hyped match this should feel about as intense as it gets there's a moment where Berrettini falls over and Alcaraz goes to the other side of the net to help him which was a totally innocent genuine gesture but it it sucked a bit of the edge out of the match, I feel. And, and there were a few moments where Alcaraz hits a around-the-net post shot and he starts he starts hitting lobs and it just started to feel a bit fun. Mm. And that wasn't what Matteo Berrettini wanted out there today. felt so wrong that Alcaraz hit that incredible around-the-net post shot and then the umpire goes, 15 love. <laughs> so, it's like, it deserved, to, it, it deserved to be a much bigger moment than that. Should have heard my commentary on it, I'll tell you. I, I want to hear oh, it. Oh, dear, that was... The thing with it was, sometimes when you're commentating on Alcraus, he'll do something that nobody else on the planet could do. So when you're describing it, you're about to describe a winner for Matteo Berrettini. In this case, it was an angled slice backhand, very delicately played, taking uh, Alcraus out of court or whoever's trying to run it down out of court. And you're about to say winner and then suddenly this guy just comes from nowhere <laughs> like the road runner and he gets to the ball and he's got two hands on the racket and he manages to place it between the umpire's chair and the net post and I think over the head of the ball kid <laughs> and that's the only way he could have hit a winner and that's what he did he ended up in the photographer's pit I mean it's one of those where that could have gone horribly wrong mm. and he twists an ankle but genuine looks between us Kim Kleist is in our commentary box Leon Smith and me of just disbelief is that why he apologised rather than celebrating that winner he didn't do his trademark fingering the air look over to Juan Carlos Ferrero did you see what I just did there he kind of did a little apology I want maybe that was because of the photographer's box situation I, I don't know I mean maybe I, he might have been acknowledging a sort of congratulations from Berrettini because there was a bit of that going on in the match there was Berrettini walked off actually towards our commentary box towards the back of the court after that and he just yeah. shook his head as if to say I mean that's not normal that's not real how's he done that and you that's the only way you can accept that moment I think if you're him um, so maybe that's what it was about just generally on the match I agree that Berrettini didn't play at the level that he had done against Zverev the other day I think maybe Maybe not having the matches in his legs caught up with him a little bit today. It's very hard to produce 
so many brilliant performances out of nowhere. And I think Alcaraz has been playing at this really high level for a really, really long time now. He's just sort of trusted him to be able to find it a bit. But at the same time, Berrettini does not have a good record in slams against top players. He's never beaten a top ten player in a slam. And, it's quite big, that, isn't it? you know, he's been, he's been very good on grass over the last few years, absolutely. I really don't want to take that away from him, but I think generally he's won matches that I would probably expect him to win. He came up against Alcaraz today, whose, whose skill level is just higher. You know, there's just so many moments, and I think I'm really enjoying Alcaraz on grass because I said it the other day against Jarry, it's forcing him to use his shots to get himself out of a bit of trouble, whether it's, whether it's a slice backhand that we don't really see him use on the clay, but he's got it. Or whether it's, uh, you know, where he's really rushed on the backhand side and he can flatten that out. Or it's just his hand skills up at the net. He's got, he's got all of that. And I think there's a reason that, that Wimbledon, I think, has been such a closed shop in men's tennis for the past 20 years. It's been, it's been the big four. They're the best players. They, they have the highest skill level. And, OK, you might, you know, in the past, I think maybe when the grass was quicker, you could maybe serve someone off the court on grass. But now it really requires great hand skills and touch. And Alcaraz has, has got all of that. He might not quite yet have the fully natural movement on the grass, but I don't see a game that isn't built for grass. Like, it's, it's working what he's doing. Yeah, he's got a good slice and he's coping well with slice. Matteo Berrettini, oh, we interrupt. Hands will be closing in around 15 minutes. Please make your way to the exit gates and take sure you take all your belongings with you. We hope you've enjoyed your day here at Wimbledon and we wish you a pleasant and safe journey home. Thank you. Is it pre-recorded? Is that the same message every night? Or yes. Is there a, is it, oh, I thought there was a man in a room. Maybe he's reading it out every night, but if he is, he's reading out the same message. If I were him, I would pre-record it and press a button. Yeah, and if you are going to do it live, at least style it out a bit to, <laughs> to justify... You're not pre-recording it, Matt. <laughs> I want to I see you under pressure every night. Um, I was saying something boring about slice, wasn't I? Um, he, he was, I think Matteo Berrettini has a good slice backhand, and he got some dividends on it today but by and large I thought Alcaraz dealt with it really really well I don't think that's a particularly sharp weapon against him no and I think one of the reasons is because Alcaraz has got the drop shot which he can hit very easily off off a really knifed slice and there was another moment where Berrettini walked off shaking his head because Alcaraz went to hit a drop shot which (laughs) Had Berrettini running towards the net, and then it was a fake, <laughs> and and Alcaraz then just jabbed it into the corner, and and Berrettini's like you. <laughs> isn't him. isn't that? And I have to credit Simon Simon Briggs of the Telegraph for this. That's an old Federer move, isn't it? Yeah, he used to do that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, just hold it to the last mm. moment, and then sort of yeah, jab it, push it. It is like having your pants pulled down. Mm. Actually, that look really it? silly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like someone hitting a. A drop shot return on your big serve, in the words of Petra Kvitova, a bit embarrassing. <laughs> um, so Alcaraz winning today. Actually, just one last point on Berrettini. He is somebody that is so self-aware about who he is and where he fits in tennis. I think he knows he's not the most gifted. He he would, 
I think totally not that you're necessarily going to say it to his face but I think he would totally accept your point about skill set Matt I think he's as aware of that as anybody in in his Netflix episode in series one of Breakpoint he talked about having a window didn't he? he said my time is now I know that my window might not be that big and obviously those words were recorded before what happened at Wimbledon last year um, when the window was slammed shut on him. He's 27 years old, which is nothing in modern tennis terms, but we are we're still in the Djokovic era, and we're also entering the Alcaraz era and potentially the Runa era and Sinner and all the rest of it. Has he tragically missed his window, potentially? I'm not sure there was yeah, a window. Yeah, I, I don't know if there was that big a window. I mean, he got to a Grand Slam final and Maybe lost to Novak Djokovic. Wimbledon last year. Maybe. Djokovic still Djok- would have been there. Djokovic yeah. is just too good. Alcaraz, it looks like, when he finds his best, is just too good. I think Berrettini's making the best of what he's got. I really do. And look, he's also been incredibly unlucky. I totally accept that. You only get so many looks at a Grand Slam final or title and all the rest of it. But we were talking about it in the commentary box. Kim Kleister said to her one of the massive differences between our crowds and all the others is work ethic and loving it all the time. It's not an occasional thing. It's not a build-up to a Grand Slam. He's like this all the time. He's built for it. He loves it. He wants it. And that's who he is. The others don't have that. I would, uh, and she made the point of Kyrgios being an example, and I think that's a very good point because Kyrgios is one of the ones who does have talent that makes you gasp, but he's not making the most of it. He hasn't made the most of it. Um, Alcaraz is. The others, I said to her, they're just not as good as Alcaraz. Zverev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, they're just not as good. And so that's the big difference to me. Can I tell you somebody else that does have that attitude towards tennis? Holger Rune. Mm. Carlos Alcaraz's quarterfinal opponent who won today in four sets over Grigor Dimitrov, who was a set and a breakup in this match over on number one court, um, and then lost two tie breaks. And we sort of prophesied this, didn't we? Or looking back now with the benefit of hindsight we can think that we prophesized it because on the day before the championships or perhaps two days before the championships we were here checking out our lovely spot overlooking course 18 we turned around and there was Grigor Dimitrov playing out of his mind in a practice set against Alex de Menor. and David started making purring noises Matt was egging him on going oh. Griggle's looking good, isn't he? Every, everybody agreed. Griggle was looking world-beating, and then they got into a tie break. And he got tight. <laughs> he got tight in a tie break in a practice set, and he lost two tie breaks today against Holger Rune, and he lost one of them in heartbreaking fashion. What was that fashion? Because I was commentating at the time. I was aware of the scores ticking over, but. Well, uh, I'm trying to remember which of the tiebreaks was which now because <laughs> it was the third set tiebreak that I'm referring to in particular. Is that the look with the, the, the face? With the face. Oh. With the face. He's five three down in the tiebreak is Grigor Dimitrov, and he stops the point and to challenges. challenge 
And it's the second worst decision in tennis history after, obviously, Alejandro Davidovich Fakina's <laughs> decision to underarm serve at eight all uh, in a match tiebreak. And um, he's incorrect in his challenge. He loses the point. It's then 6 3, three set points to Holger Runa. And Grigor Dimitrov just stands there contorting his face for about 30 seconds. And it's it tells a story, mm. doesn't it? Of a. A real trademark Grigor Dimitrov match. Yeah, absolutely. Because I would say, certainly for the first two sets, I thought he was the better player. Mm. And actually, what really impresses me about Hulgaruna is how how young in his career he seems to to be able to win ugly or perform some slightly dark arts and get through matches that he's not playing that well in that. That feels to me like something that you can learn a bit and experience helps with that, but that's a real trademark of Runa's, and I'm, I'm really impressed with it. I did think he should have been called for hindrance in the... That was in the second set tiebreak, wasn't it? Where, <laughs> I mean, mid-rally <laughs> on, on set point, he decided to challenge and then realised he hasn't got any challenges remaining. <laughs> And carried on the point, but he had he had very clearly stopped, and because of that, Grigor had kind of stopped as well, and the and the rally then played out, and and Runa won the set. I he should have been docked that point, right? I thought so. Yeah. I thought I thought that was a bit of a miss from the umpire, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just things like that that he just seems to get away with a bit, and sort of just bring to the court. There's always there's always something in a Runa match that. Well, do you, Either, know, do you know what there always is? There's always his mum. <laughs> yep. <laughs> becoming, becoming more and more iconic <laughs> Very with every iconic. match. Would you like, for the, uh, for the benefit of those watching, Matt, would you like to do an impersonation of Holger Runa's mum <laughs> when Holger won the second set tiebreak earlier? I'm still not sure what she was doing, but she went... <laughs> and then sort of... <laughs> Yeah, it was, she was. She was. It was a forehand. It was something to do with the forehand. She mocking her own son. I think she was either mocking her own son or potentially mocking, mocking Grigor. Grigor. <laughs> that would be very, very close to the line, wouldn't it? I think, as a family, they are quite close to the line yeah. quite a lot of the time. <laughs> um, I would like to read you some quotes from Holger Runa, which. This is what I always say about him, but just to illustrate why I'm so into him as a tennis player and as a foil and as a presence in men's tennis. Uh, when asked after his match, and at this point he didn't absolutely know it would be Carlos Alcaraz he was facing, but he wanted it to be Carlos Alcaraz that he was facing. He said, I'm not afraid, I'm excited. Yeah. And uh, apparently in Danish, and this is courtesy of one of our listeners on Instagram and I'm not able to fact check this because I don't speak Danish, <laughs> but let's hope it's true. Apparently, in his Danish TV in- interview, he said, "It's what I've been hoping for all along." Oh, excellent! And I love that. <laughs> no, it's great. It's delicious, isn't it? And actually, the the final point of the match I thought was so telling about the two players. You've got Grigor hanging on hitting gorgeous slices to extend this rally and, and challenge Runa. And Runa just going into Djokovic lockdown mode and saying, I'm going to keep hitting inside-out forehands. I am not going to change it up. You're going to have to do something. And I've got the confidence in my baseline game that I won't be the one that breaks down. And eventually, 
Sure enough, Dimitrov slices down the line with that backhand and gets it wrong, puts it in the tram lines. And I just thought, what a clever bit of match play that is from Runa. That's something that he has unique in this generation, I would say, because in that situation, Alcaraz is trying to take the racket out of your hand. He's trying to win the point on his own, in his way on his own terms. Runa was trying to do it in a Djokovician type of way and to, to be doing that at his age and mm. it's not the first time he's done it to Djokovic twice and one incre- mm. on both occasions yeah and I was I was going to cite an example of a match that he played against Roberto Carballos Baena but it's not as impressive as doing it against Novak Djokovic oh, go but, on. but it was in <laughs> it was it was earlier in the tournament here I, I don't think he was actually playing that well on the day and he was moonballing a lot and slowing slowing the play down and he and he said well i realized that he wants my pace so i just gave him nothing it's great and i, th- mm, I, I he really has got those those smarts on court and that ability to to adjust his game depending on the situation and in the latest instalment of Catherine Tries to Make Rivalries Happen, <laughs> let's talk about Alcaraz and Runa because if you look up their head-to-head on the ATB website, it will tell you that they've played twice. But I would like to tell you that this is actually the first instalment of what I hope will be a rivalry for the ages because the last time they played was in Paris last year. That was the match where Alcaraz got injured, the injury that ended up keeping out of keeping him out of the ATP finals. So that was a retirement, doesn't count. And the time before that was the next gen finals. No. You almost said Labour Cup there, didn't you? Because they also put them on on an, yes. on annoying head to heads. Obviously they haven't played at the Labour yeah. Cup, but I should not be on an I'm official head to head. I don't feel like I've seen <laughs> this match and I certainly haven't yeah. seen it since each of them became the players that we now know them to be. Yep. Paris last year was a total threshold Rubicon mm. crossed moment for Holger Rune. I think we've all thought of him completely differently since he won that title. The manner he did it, beating Djokovic in the final. And the way he's backed that up, not week in, week out. There have been some disappointments in there. But basically, since winning Paris, he has become a major factor in men's tennis. And mm. we all know what Carlos Alcaraz has done in the last nine months. And I am... So pumped for this match and this rivalry. Yeah, me too. And I think particularly for it to happen here at this stage of the tournament, they've played enough tennis now. They've both had that match. Because I don't, I wasn't overly convinced by Rooney. You were more convinced by him, Catherine, when we spoke earlier because you've been at Queen's, seen him up close on grass. My, my view has only been from the TV. I haven't commentated on him yet. But today was a really big moment for me that he... He took out somebody who is very good on grass and he just dealt with him um, from behind. And Alcaraz did the same in his own way. So now they get to introduce themselves to Wimbledon against each other on, well, I guess centre court. I would expect that to be centre court now, wouldn't it? Um, and I just want to see that match. I, and I'm like you, I want to see it over and over again because Runa is not having this Alcaraz hype. He's not having it. He thinks he's the man. Quietly. He's very much the Barbora Krejcikova of that situation. <laughs> yeah, it's not a big one. It's a big two. He backs himself. <laughs> mm. um, well, I can. Uh, can I tell you somebody else who hopes that that's a centre court match? I was, I was going to say the same. Daniel Medvedev, mm. who will also be playing his quarterfinal on Wednesday, he wants to play on court number one because oh. 
He keeps winning on court number one. <laughs> he hasn't played on centre court. No, and, and he's, he's he's unbeaten right. in his career on mm. on number one court. Whereas he has, I think, lost on. It's a sort of Kyrgios John Kane arena situation. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot to say about his win today over Yurilia Hechka via retirement. I mean, Medvedev was. It wasn't much of a match. I think no. even more one-sided than the scoreline would suggest. 6-4 first set, but it didn't feel like a 6-4 no. first Le- set. Lehechka was... He got blisters, I think, from the mm. Tommy Paul match that was four hours long previous round, which I always sympathise with. It must be horrible trying to run around the way they have to when you're running on blisters like that. Um, and he, But one thing I did feel, because I was in the commentary box for that court level just how hard Lehechka hits the ball when he really goes for it and just how easily Medvedev glides across the baseline and times it back without any panic. There's no anxiety in his ground strokes at all. He's in a really good place. Hmm. Yeah, he um, he sounds different. He, sa- he was in a very good mood before the tournament, but he was, and he was clear that he's into grass and he's into tackling grass, but... He didn't know how it was going to go, this Wimbledon. He really didn't. I mean, especially given his Grand Slams on preferred surfaces have not gone to plan. So I I think he was wary of talking himself up on his least successful surface today. But he seemed today like a little bit like he was in Rome. Now, I'm not suggesting he's going to go on to win the title like he did in Rome. Like, yeah, I feel like like something's clicked Mm. here. Um and I'm excited by that. Yeah, I think getting past Manorino was the big moment. A guy who, had, who he'd lost to three times out of four on grass. Like, how could you look beyond that if you're Medvedev? You know, he's, he's very aware. I think that that was a, a tough match. It was then split over two days, another thing that he'd struggled with at Wimbledon in the past. And it feels like his head and the road have just cleared for him since then. And... Yeah, you know, he had a tough match against uh, Martin Fuchovic, but came through that as well. Yeah, he's 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 definitely in a in a good place, but he's now got a totally well, different matchup. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. He faces Christopher Eubanks in the quarterfinals. He was asked, David, about Eubanks' style of play being a throwback to the '90s in his press conference today. His reply. I didn't see the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime he wants to come round, he can watch my... I've got my v- videos still. He said, the, um, you know... Have you got a VHS player? No, that's a slight drawback <laughs> to my plan. I mean, I used to have one and then it broke down because it's about 35 he years old. He said his first proper tennis the memories Library. are Marit Safin. So I guess that's very late 90s. I mean, well, no, it's 2000, yeah. isn't it? That's when he won his US Open. He doesn't Open. know anything about the 90s. Uh, he knows. He talked he about just didn't Sampras, see them. but he didn't, he didn't see uh, the 90s. We're, we're going to have to have a chat here. <laughs> we are. Um, but it, it is interesting. I mean, I must admit, when I look at Eubanks, I don't think of the 90s. No. I think of a sort of... I suppose it's a hybrid, really. He's going for shots. He's got the single-handed backhand. He does come to the net. But it is very much of this era. It's power. It's, but it's so refreshing to watch the way he's just... I mean, if, if any player has clicked in the last six months who hasn't clicked for the last several years, it's him. 
because this is a crazy level that he's playing. When you consider back in Miami in March, he finally broke the top 100 after years of trying and was emotional in that interview with Mike Cation. Remember that one mm. that we all will think back to and how lovely it was because he seems like such a decent bloke and he comes to the does the commentary and he's so respectful of the medium and he's happy to be there and now he's just realized i can do this at the very highest level and it's it's just great to watch yeah that's what i find really interesting about christopher eubanks actually because he's he spent years at the lower end of the atp tour but mainly on the challenger tour and i think when you're constantly in that cycle you can start to feel like that's your place that's where you belong yeah but what's what's actually happened is now that he's got that big jump from Miami and he's now won a title in Mallorca and he's now fully established as a as an ATP tour player it actually feels like he's got a game and a personality that really belongs here that was kind of what I found so amazing about that fifth set it was like it was like he didn't really realize that he was playing at Wimbledon because he mm. was he was so free in how he was playing and yet he was also playing absolutely perfect Wimbledon tennis he was getting the crowd on side because his tennis as David said is so daring and attacking and aggressive and strong and you know people love that so he actually credited uh, Coco Goff who was in the box and Naomi Osaka who he's friends with she was tight she was tighter (laughs) than Eubanks (laughs) she looked more nervous than she does in her own matches (laughs) yeah she did Mm. but he said you know they're constantly telling me that I do belong at this level and I, I I surround myself with them and I'm I'm struck by how they talk about themselves and I'm I need to learn from them and talk about myself like that and I thought I thought that was amazing for someone who has never been in this situation who literally didn't know where the Orangi practice courts were 10 days ago or so now is playing like someone who belongs at Wimbledon and is <laughs> Another thing that he mentioned in his press conference, he's, he'll be coming back to Wimbledon because when, when you reach the quarterfinals here, you, reach the, you get the last eight club. And one of the perks of that is lifetime credential for you and a guest. Oh, wow. So, you know, and he, he, he made a point of referencing that. that that's, that's something that he's really excited about. Yeah, he's about. checked the small print on the last yeah. eight club, hasn't he? <laughs> he, uh, he said, what as- he was asked, what aspect of all this to you is the most surreal part and the hardest believe- to believe? He said, there's a few different things, he says. Everything from realising that I have two credentials at Wimbledon for the rest of my life to checking my phone and seeing my name as an ESPN alert <laughs> to realising how much I disliked grass at the beginning of this grass court season to now look at where I am there's so many different ways I could go about it I just think the entire experience altogether has been a whirlwind it's something that you dream about but I think for me I didn't really know if that dream would actually come true I'm sitting here in it now so it's pretty cool truly heartwarming Mm. to think a month ago he's messaging Kim Clijsters about how he doesn't know how to play on grass (laughs) a month ago and she's encouraging him and telling her what worked for her. And, and she was in our commentary box today and she was saying, no, 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 I had nothing to do with this. But, I mean, clearly she, she struck a chord and they've, they've got a bit of a, a, a kind of connection themselves. And he's taken that on and won this tournament in Mallorca. It was Mallorca, wasn't it? And, mm. and now here. But suddenly he feels like he belongs. But it's a freshness. You, you, you talk, we, we used to go, if you go way back, players that were ranked outside the top 100, you, you used to think, 
yeah, but you stick them on a big stage and they come alive. But how do you how do you get them on the big stage? Mm. Is it wild cards? Is it do you need one big result? And that's what Eubanks has got now. He is now entered into every big tournament in the world because of his ranking, and we can see that he's got he's got the game, he's got the presence, and honestly, he looks like he just is going to carry on playing freely. And it's incredibly useful for us that he's a commentator as well because he does great post-match analysis. He it's does. like, what happened in this match? Oh, just just ask Christopher Eubanks and he literally will tell you very accurately. <laughs> and, and I think the point he made was really interesting about how he, he didn't feel like he played all that well today compared to some of his other matches certainly his serve he was he was way down on on the ace count compared to the rest of his matches but he played well when he needed to and that that pretty much is the one thing you have to do in tennis particularly in five set tennis for somebody that has played so few grand slam tournaments and he's not been I mean, yeah, this is his Wimbledon main draw debut. He has this incredible understanding of the rhythms of five-set tennis. Mm. He said, I know that I'm not going to play well for five sets and I don't need to. That's fine. Mm. I'll, so long as I find it at the right peaks. And that's, he managed the match better than, than Sitsipas today. Yeah, which was surprising considering Sitsipas is the one mm. with the greater experience. And in that fifth set, Eubanks broke straight away with with a, with a chip return and then Sitsipas hit his forehand into Eubanks' backhand and Eubanks smacked oh. a gorgeous backhand down the line winner. It was chef's kiss. Sitsipas then gets the break back and I'm thinking, okay. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. This, mm. is, this is the top player weathering the storm, getting back in the match. Eubanks then broke serve in the very next game and he did it with the exact same combination that he'd broken with to begin with, a chip return and a, ma- and a massive backhand winner down the line. It, and he, was, he, had this, he had this look in his eye like, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can keep doing this. I, I am made for this stage. And the thing about that shot is that he didn't go for it that much. No, he? He but when he so needed to. He was so selective about going for the really flashy stuff. And it by and large it came off when he did go for it and he's so much fun I do expect it to be a very different match against Medvedev Medvedev I I was there I watched that match that they played in the Miami quarterfinals in person obviously well to quote Medvedev different tournament no to quote Eubanks sorry different tournament different conditions different everything but A Medvedev returned the Eubanks serve really well that incredibly deep return position that Medvedev adopts and you think is he really going to keep doing that, even even on grass? <laughs> yes, he is. He does. Um, he, he almost hit the line judge a couple of times. It's, on it's court unreal. One today. But I was scared. <laughs> it it works for him, and it yeah. worked for him against Eubanks in Miami. And he also passes really well, yeah. Medvedev, better than Sitsipas off both wings. I don't know how he passes so well on that forehand. It doesn't look like it's going to work. I don't work. know how he does anything. How on can that he, how can he get the ball up and down? In, in an angle. It feels like it should just go it up, do, doesn't it? It does, doesn't make any sense to me, but he does pass really well on both wings, and I think that could be tough for Eubanks. But I love the concept of the matchup if yeah. it can be mm. competitive. Yeah, and I think a big thing for Eubanks, again, this was, this was very much his analysis, not mine, but he spoke about what a good job he feels like he's done of 
just focusing on the next match and compartmentalizing was the word he used in terms of yes it's been a life-changing run of form that he's on and you know he's getting a lot of attention but he's he's done a great job of just focusing on the match I think that's going to be harder than ever to do you know his his press conference was like four or five pages long on the transcript <laughs> there's an awful Love lot of it. attention on him now he, he as, as he said he's an ESPN notification <laughs> like how how does that not affect you in in some way if if he can go on to court completely unaffected by all that and bring his game I think it's going to be really really fun but I wouldn't be totally surprised if, if there's a little mm. dip just just because of how new it is to him and you know Medvedev is is used to playing these big matches can, can I just ask where where does this leave Stefano Tsitsipas I mean he's had this great win over Andy Murray and he has made some progress but was he was he two sets to one up today yeah and and he hasn't beaten a guy who's ranked way below him um I mean look my my view is I'm curious to see what you think he just plays all these tournaments and I just despair every time I see one of these tournaments with a Stefano Tsitsipas has agreed to play so and so tournament in three weeks time and I'm thinking but it's Wimbledon it's Wimbledon peak for this what are you peaking for I'm torn because I didn't I didn't really expect him to reach the fourth round um, and he played so well against Andy Murray I really was impressed by how he played across both days of that match um, so in some ways I actually I'm in a sort of better place with Sitsipas than I was ahead of this tournament but I still overall don't think he's in a good place in his career he's fading as a factor and that's partly because of other people coming into Technicolor but it's also because of him standing still I I think that partnership with Mark Filipousis could have borne fruit if he could have made it work and yeah. he was unable to make the very difficult and they are difficult but he wasn't able to make the difficult decisions required to make that work and to take step for, steps forward in his career. He's a blooming good tennis player, but his stated ambition is to win Grand Slams and be number one in the world. And that isn't going to happen on his current trajectory, I don't think. He no. still is capable of it, but something has to change. Not improving, is he? No. Hard agree, yeah. I mean, the thing is... There's a real pattern as well in, in Sitsipas's career, which is first half of the season tends to be so much better than, than the second half of the season. He's In terms of the slams as well, he's way better in Australia and, and Paris than he is in, at Wimbledon and, and New York. And Yes, I agree. I, th- I, thought, I, th- I thought he was brilliant against Andy Murray. Um, he was hitting his forehand so well, and he, he needs to get back to doing that all the time because that's a world-class shot and it hasn't been for a few months um i do think this this weird tournament made it difficult for you know he was playing every day i know i know that other players were as well he also had doubles that's his own that's his own thing i know but that's one of the decisions isn't it absolutely like that's the decision making yeah sure um yeah i agree he's he's fading as a force but there was a level of tennis that he showed this tournament that I hadn't felt like I'd seen mm. for a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bit torn. Yeah. Uh, Novak Djokovic did finish off Hubert Hurkacz today. Hubert Hurkacz did his 
damnedest to throw egg onto my face um, <laughs> because he came out and broke the Djokovic serve towards the end, or well, at the very end of that fourth set, uh, third set rather, and he took it. He took this one into a fourth set. And while I don't think many people at that stage were thinking, oh, Djokovic could really lose this I was watching it on the TV and listening to radio commentary as well and it it didn't sound like anybody was really on upset alert yet her catch would have had to go break up in the fourth or take the fourth for for tones to change in the commentary just because of how blooming good Novak Djokovic is but reading through Djokovic's comments after, after the match here I think he feels like he really came through a scare today. He said, I don't recall being so helpless on return games. He really was struggling with that her-catch serve, not just because of the pace of it, but the the placement. He was just not able to get into return games and one lapsed, one substandard game on your own serve and that's a set over, which is exactly what happened in in set number three. And I don't think him losing that set and getting in a bit of trouble today means anything for his tournament or how we feel about how he's playing or his likelihood to win, which is extremely high. But it's interesting that he felt that way. Yeah, it's how, it's how it looked last night and today. Um, and it's how it looked when I saw Hercat serving the other day against Massetti. He's got an amazing serve when it's really functioning. And when he plays that sort of tennis, that kind of big man's roll the arm over, hit pick the spots tennis um and yes I, I think actually it will strengthen Djokovic's likelihood to be better in future rounds um he's not going to face that sort of game very often uh, probably not again in this tournament now that Berrettini's out um but I also think Hercatch won the set where there was no jeopardy he's already two sets to love down he had 6-3 uh, parity in the first set, and he, and, he, and he choked. Second set, 5-4 up, mini break, choked. Some of that's extracted by Djokovic. But then third set today, comes out, swings, he's obviously had a talking to. He played brilliantly, did really well, but then couldn't sustain it. So, you know, it's not that big a, a surprise how it went, and I don't think it damages Djokovic's chances at all. I think it improves them. He was asked in the press conference after the match about the fact that his match failed to finish last night and it had to come back today and what we were talking about and lots of people have been talking about the scheduling, the one thirty start on centre court um, and he supports the centre court start time being brought forward. Now, um, Sally Bolton, the chief executive of the All England Club. That's the right job title, isn't Correct. it? Yeah. Um, she did um, spoke to a lot of press this morning and um, defended the start time, although the club do point out that there is a review uh, that takes place at the end of every championships, and I would imagine this would be something that we looked at. There's certainly no ruling out of anything changing at this stage, but Sally Bolton did defend the situation um she was asked about um the broadcasters being a major factor in um the scheduling being how it is and she said 
stakeholders like broadcasters are consulted as part of the planning for the championships but broadcasters don't have a direct impact into start time but then she did say look there's there's lots of things to take into account here and TV viewing figures are one of those things and she said the TV figures speak for themselves they've been beyond expectations for this year so it's a clear statement that the later matches go the higher TV viewing figures are particularly if Andy Murray is involved but then you're obviously walking a tightrope of getting finished in time so I accept all those things I, I, I want as many eyeballs on Wimbledon as possible in this country and in every other country I do get the feeling that a compromise can be found I mean court number one only starts half an hour earlier and that court has finished every day so far now obviously there's a bit of luck involved in that there's no guarantee that that would be the case but I feel like maybe there's some compromise and it's obviously something that that will be looked at I think there should be too I think that they they do need to do something and look, they review everything, don't they, at the end of these tournaments, and they will take all this into account. I think they do need to make changes. Yeah. yeah. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Moving on to the women's matches today. And just as a segue into the women's, an update um, this evening from the WTA, a statement on post-match handshakes. This obviously prompted by what happened to Victoria Azarenka being booed off court yesterday for not putting Alina Svitolina in the position of having to 
proactively not shake her hand following their fourth round match. The WTA have said following the unfortunate circumstances and misunderstanding in yesterday's match at Wimbledon, along with other matches the past several weeks, the WTA would like to provide clarity around post-match handshakes. Due to the ongoing reprehensible war, the WTA respects the position of the Ukrainian athletes in foregoing the tradition of shaking opponents' hands from Russia and Belarus at the end of the match, and this is a personal decision. We have some of the best fans in the world and are grateful for their passion and dedication, and we thank them for their understanding and respect for the athletes. Um, That is the sort of statement that Elena Svitolina was calling for after the match yesterday, and I'm really clear, uh, I'm really pleased that they have done that so clearly. I'm pleased too. I wonder how much impact that is going to have on crowds in Tennis Stadia here and wonder whether there needs to be some way of communicating to the crowd what is going to happen in this match. Now, I don't have the answer necessarily as to how you do that, but I wonder whether it may be at the start of a match, if you do have a full crowd, maybe there is somebody who could be making an announcement to let them know. I don't know whether that's too awkward and maybe that gets booed itself. I don't know. I applaud the WTA for, for reacting quickly. I think maybe they should have done that sooner, given that this has happened a few times, but it is the right way to do it. It's just, I'm just not convinced that that mm. is going to be the solution to, to actually stopping it. It's one of those things, I, I, I kind of need to see it to know how weird it would be, yeah. an umpire mm. making an announcement that there will be no, no handshake. I'd, it could be absolutely the right thing to do, or it could feel really jarring and clap. I don't know. I don't know, but I, I, I share your sentiments, David. So the WTA matches today mean that all four of the top four, brilliantly phrased, Catherine, well done, all of the top four women's seeds are through to the quarters for the first time since 2009. And there are now only two women left in the draw of the last eight that haven't reached a Grand Slam final. They are Jessica Bagula and Alina Svitolina. Um, we have a replay of last year's final set up between Elena Rabatkina and Ons Jabeur. Now, in terms of Elena Rabatkina's match, not much to say other than get well soon. Beatrice had admired really, really tough scenes for her having to retire from that match, trailing in the opening set. It was clear immediately that she wasn't going to be able to, to continue in any competitive way. So good luck to her. Ons Jabeur, I mean, quite frankly, Ons Jabeur's match over Petra Kvitova didn't last much longer and, and nobody retired in it. What? I mean, I was, I was firing out messages saying, is Petra Kvitova OK? What, what it, is happening? It was a very weird tennis match. Considering that Petra Kvitova came into this match with a really good head-to-head record against Ons Jabeur, for her to lose love and three, I think it was, wasn't it? And it, you know, she was six love, four one down before a little rally at the end. Something had to have gone dramatically wrong, and, and, it, and it did. And I was wondering whether, whether she was okay as well. She, she was absolutely adamant in, in her press conference that she was fine physically. She mentioned the wind as a factor. She did mention the windy. And Not a fan of the windy. But yeah, I do wonder how much the windy was a factor. She does love indoors, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. But I went out to Centre Court. It, it wasn't 
that windy during the the very small amount of time that they were on court. I I think she just played just played terribly. And this is this match was the exact reason why making Petra Kvitova predictions is a fruitless exercise she's done me again <laughs> yeah i i wanted to <laughs> i've just been going on for 11 years <laughs> this podcast for all the pressure convincing that's it now i'm out <laughs> um i wanted to go for petrol Kvitova in the newsletter predictions for today thinking that that would earn me lots and lots of sweet sweet points and you said oh that's only 17 points because she was the favorite ahead of that match because she had such a good head-to-head against Ons Jabeur. A bit like the Azarenka-Svitolina thing. Yet more proof that head-to-heads mean nothing. What what are we supposed to base our predictions on? <laughs> if not past data, we're just left flapping in the wind here. So she's in incredible form. She's got this great head-to-head suggesting the matchup is good. And she looked so uncomfortable out there, David. There were so many ungainly runs to the net mm. to chase down drop shots she looked just so she looked like david law out there just sort of oh. you know like a i was gonna say giraffe and that's so harsh i mean do you I know ta- what i mean i can just take sort it <laughs> sloan stevens called christopher eubanks a giraffe and yes. look at the mm. look at yes. where he is uh and uh, look i'm rather less athletic than he is I just wonder, look, I didn't see much of this match because I was covering Daniel Medvedev's match and I was covering Alcaraz against uh, Bertini. But when I first clapped eyes on this match, it was fall of Jabir, game point for mm. her, <laughs> break point for her, and she hit a drop shot return winner, the most perfect it. drop shot return winner you've ever seen, and I immediately just capitalised that <laughs> in the WhatsApp group. So my assumption was... Ons Jabeur's playing out of her mind. And Petra Kvitova, whilst she has the, rac- the, the ball on her racket and the, the, the match in her hands most of the time, what if you don't have the ball where you want it in order to connect? Because the opponent's a magician. So is that not a factor? There were isolated moments of brilliance from Ons Jabeur, of course, that one being one of which I saw <laughs> that one being one of them uh, you know she's got such a lovely flat com- compact backhand mm. that that you know sort of paid dividends at times but I honestly found it really hard to know how well Ons Chabot was was playing today because she didn't really have to play <laughs> it, was, it was very weird but she looked like she was having fun out there, which was her stated intention at the start of the tournament, and you love to see it from Jabeur. So we will have Jabeur against Rabakina. Oh, mm. yes, please. Yes, and, please. And I think there's a there's a question mark over whether Rabakina goes into that undercooked. I mean, her, her form actually so far, she was down in the, in the first set against Shelby Rogers, and then Rogers just fell off a cliff at her level she was terrible in sets two and three uh she beat elise Cornet, which was a real battle in the second set and mm. Cornet was was giving as as good as she's got and had rebecca in a bit of a tangle in that match but then got injured so we, we didn't really see rebecca have to get over the line against a player playing well in that match because she was injured 
it was sort of like Katie Bolter wasn't there the other night as Rabatkina was just mm. serving down aces and slamming winners. And then today, mm. she plays, what, four or five games against Hadad Meyer. So I don't really feel like she's been tested all that much. But then that might be what she needed, you know, because she came in into the tournament not feeling too well. It's maybe good that she's been able to cruise a little bit. And she said herself, she really feels like she's confident again she's playing well again I don't think she's too worried about the route through that she's had and and feeling undercooked but it is does feel like a bit of a factor Mm. going into the match I love that we're getting that match it's one of those where you look through the draw at the start of the tournament and you see the projected quarterfinals and you your heart skips a beat and then you go oh but it's tennis the chances of those (laughs) happening are so slim but that one is happening and I am pumped for it the other quarterfinal set up in the bottom half of the draw today Arena Sabalenka against Madison Keys not loads to report from Sabalenka beating Ekaterina Alexandrova 6-4-6-love other than that she was great and she'd lost to Alexandrova twice prior to this match so and I think that counts for something in terms of how we assess it that she was so um, unflapped in this still only eight unforced errors for Alexandrova which considering she hit 93 fewer 91 in a victory (laughs) the other day is pretty unreal but yeah Sabalenka was fantastic Mm. Um, Madison Keys came back from a set and 4-1 down to 16 year old Mira Andreva very close to being 5-1 5-1 down in the second set. Was it the left-handed drop shot that changed everything, Matt? Yeah. It was an incredible shot. And she said afterwards, like, everyone was like, wow, what an amazing shot. And she was like, yeah, I've got that in my locker. She said, <laughs> "She said I have a pretty good lefty forehand. Yeah. <laughs> it was just it's brilliant. Normal. And, <laughs> you know, to to be able to think in the first place I'm going to hit this left-handed rather than take it on the backhand and then to play it she also had to change her grip she she slid her hand down the grip to hit that shot it was fantastic and honestly from that moment onwards I think Andreva in the third set was far less of a force I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that but in the second set Andreva was still playing well towards the end of this match uh, towards the end of that set and Keys just raised her level and I thought that was so impressive because I wasn't expecting him to do that. I was not expecting that. It felt like, oh, it's this Madison Keys today. Yeah. It's it's and Joe Jury said it in commentary on the TV. Oh, that return has literally hit the back fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is something you say, but it literally did. Like her radar was just off. It was just unforced errors. And I think Andreva yeah. had had a big part to play in that. She was just dismantling the keys game constructing points drawing errors manipulating the ball around it was it was everything that we're so excited by with Andreva she was sort of displaying in in the first half of this match but keys was terrible and so for her to to actually by the end start playing really really well I I feel like I just haven't seen that so much from Madison Keys. it feels like she's either playing well or she's playing badly and she was she was able to move from one to the other today. Name drop alert here. I'll do it, David, so you don't you don't have to. <laughs> David watched this match in the company of the legend that is Sue Barker. Yes, How I was did. That, David, uh, it was great. Uh, I, only for a sort of set and a half. I, I arrived and it was two games all. And Sue, 
who I didn't know was in the press seats when I arrived uh, just after 11 o'clock, informed me that Keyes had started like a train and gone two love up. And um, so here we were at two games all and we had a little chat. I mean, first of all, how lovely to see Sue... Mm. who's been working this tournament for 30 years for, for the BBC, just going out to the press seats and sitting like we would and watching Love a match that. for no reason other than she loves tennis. And she wants to watch two, one of the brightest young players in the world up against somebody established in a, in, a, in a big match. And she just wanted to watch the tennis. She was on her own. And I got there. I didn't, didn't notice her until she said hello. And... Um, and we're, we're just having a little chat about what's going on. I'm asking her what she's seeing. And, and first of all, I mean, she loves Andre. You know, just what, what a clever player she is. And, uh, um, and I, my conclusion after watching a set and a half of it, and I left, yes, she'd fought back, but Keyes was going to be serving at 4-5 down and a set down. And honestly, I expected by the time I got back to the clubhouse that it would be over. I thought she would get broken and it'd be over. And instead she levelled up at five games on. And I said to Sue, this feels to me like a hitter against a player. And honestly, that's pretty much how I view them. And massive credit for Madison Keys because, I mean, she was just missing so many balls in the period that I was there. She must have really sorted that out because by the end of the match, she'd hit 39 winners and 40 errors. It's a lot of errors, but it's still a heck of a lot of winners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to not lose your way completely and not tailspin, because she was tailspinning mm. for a while, she won the match. And I think that's really, really credits her. Mm. Yeah, incredible second set turnaround from Keyes. She was helped a bit by Andreva in the third set. That was the the Andreva that we saw in the third set against Coco Goff. In was it second set, third set, both <laughs> <laughs> against Coco Goff in Paris. Which is she's sixteen. It's fine. Yeah, it's almost and, a bit reassuring. Yeah, that she's she's human. Yeah, sixteen. And actually, I think a lot of the time she's remarkably composed and poised. Mm. That's that's one of the real traits that she does seem to have and you know I mentioned it the other day she against Potapova she was able to really not get down on herself and not get a bit petulant when when things started going against her I think I think she had realized that what happened against Coco Goff wasn't conducive to her playing her best tennis and she she said literally she'd spoken to herself she said before she goes to sleep at night she literally talks to herself and gives her gives herself kind of advice and she said that was that was the big advice she gave herself post French Open we saw a lot you know it was more similar to that today she was she was getting down on herself um the match ended in a pretty controversial fashion where after losing the second set, um, Andreva sort of threw a racket down towards her bag and she quite rightly got a warning for that. Then right at the end of the third set, she sort of went for a ball and stretched and slipped and sort of all in one motion, she would say she let go of her racket and the umpire said she slammed it down into the grass. And honestly, I think if that were any other surface the umpire wouldn't wouldn't call that but they're very strict about grass and the umpire felt that that was too aggressive onto the grass potentially damaging it and she gave her a point penalty and that brought up match point then for Madison Keys and 
Andreva then thought she'd save that with a big serve, keys challenge, and it was out. And so it was all just, it all felt like the world was against Andreva <laughs> in those last few moments. And, and she went off without shaking the umpire's hand. Um, but generally, it's been an incredible tournament for Andreva coming through qualifying, winning some matches here. So excited to see her progress over the over the next few years. There was something quite quite powerful about seeing her play Madison Keys, you know, who mm. herself was on the tour, aged I think fourteen or fifteen, and mm. had so much promise. And I was reminded of a of a piece I actually read just a couple of days ago by um, Kevin Van Valkenburg of No Laying Up, talking about Michelle Wee, who's just retired in in golf, and she was this incredible child prodigy who just broke through sort of age 12 was sort of on the LPGA tour and he said not every wave crashes when it reaches the end of its journey some of the most fascinating ones crest early and end peacefully because Michelle Wee felt like a wave crashing into the sport like she was gonna do to women's golf what Tiger Woods did to men's golf but you know she had a good career but she didn't do what people felt like she would and you could probably say the same about Madison Keys you know, you know, people were predicting her to be world number one. They were predicting her to win majors. She's had a good career, a very good career. And it's, you know, you just wonder whether Andreva is going to be a wave that crashes or, mm. or one that crests early, which is kind of what she's doing now. So just I thought it was interesting, the, just the match up there in terms of what could be ahead for Andreva. Mm, incredible turn of phrase. Keys has beaten Sabalenka on grass before in Berlin 2021. And Sablenka was in good form then. Uh, that was when she went on to reach the semi-finals here. So, look, we'll have more time to preview that match tomorrow, but makes it interesting. Yeah. I still think Sablenka will win. 2023 Sablenka. Just... Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, the order of play tomorrow reads thus. On centre court, we have Shiontek against Svitolina, the first of the women's quarterfinals. Then we have the first of the men's on centre court that is Andre Rublev against Novak Djokovic on number one court it's Jessica Begula against Marketa Vondrosheva followed by Yannick Sinner against Roman Sifuelin and then there is some women's invitational doubles Kim Kleises and Martina Hingis against Francesca Schiavone and Roberta Vinci oh hmm would watch yeah, on number two court tomorrow, there's the Bryan brothers against Sebastian Grosjean and Radek Stepanek. I still think that's unfair that the Bryan brothers get to play mm. together. <laughs> All these random pairs. think they should be split up? Well, they have a bit of an advantage, don't they? Do they Grosjean and Stepanek. Do the Woodies play together in Legends doubles? No. No. Oh, well then, yeah, split, split the Bryans up. <laughs> Motion to split the Bryans up. Um, I suppose one of them has got a metal hip. The um, look, apparently that's no impediment to success. Um, well, relative success. The uh, the invitational doubles, the legends doubles, is scattered amongst main draw doubles, and actually some of the legends doubles names are so recent that it takes a few beats to figure out what's legends and what's not. One of them's Carol Wozniak. He was having a re- well, return yeah. to the I tour. Mean, Jamie Murray is a similar age to the Bryan brothers. Yeah. A bit younger, but, bit younger. you know, similar. Radek Stepanek. Uh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's all happening tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast tomorrow, of course. We'll be back every day. We have 
six more of these and we have two live YouTube shows to preview the men's final and the women's final this coming weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So mark your calendars for those. We have our Wimbledon mascot, Erin. Hello, Erin. We have our mascots, Maisie, Xenia and Darwin. Success rates today, folks? Yes, Madison Keys. No, Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Stefanos pass. Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And Matt, we have shout-outs. We have Ryan Carlo, who is from London, Ontario. Hello, Ryan. Not Ryan. Our sister, London. Hmm. If that's a thing. Um, like Ryan Harrison. <laughs> mm. Ryan Harrison. Um, Ryan Peniston. Oh, yes. yes. Very good. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, cheers, Ryan. We've also got Cynthia Smith. And very handily, we had a message from Mary Carrillo when we were yes, this floundering is, around for Cynthia the other day. This is second Cynthia of the tournament. Absolutely. <laughs> and Mary said, Cynthia Durr is an old buddy of mine and was a classic serve-and-volley Aussie. Oh. Oh, Mary to the rescue, mm, as, as always. <laughs> Thank you, Cynthia. Yes, uh, Cynthia and her husband love their In The Mix T-shirts. Oh, oh, go on, Cynthia. Thanks, Cynthia. And finally, we've got Sally Wells from Cape Town. Hi, right, Sally. Hello, Sally. Like Sally Bolton. Like Sally Bolton, the chief executive of the All England Club in Wimbledon. Very well done, Catherine. And like Sally Jenkins, who wrote the extraordinary profile of Martina Navratilova yes. and, and Chris Everett that came out in the Washington Post I, last um, week. I'm going to name drop now. I saw Martina earlier and we spoke about that piece. And she, she's, I mean, of course, she's chuffed to bits with it. It's the most most extraordinary piece and she told me the story of how that f- cover photo of her and Chris Evert came about and I was really I was it's choked one of the up about it all time great photos in tennis isn't it of the two of them just mm. tilting their heads to one another mm. eyes closed and they both had good health news recently and that is absolutely brilliant to hear the so best. thank you Sally yeah thanks Sally and thank you to everybody who is a shout-out friend, an intro friend, any kind of friend of the Tennis Podcast. You make this show happen year-round. If you'd like to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, the link to do that is in our show notes. The link to subscribe to the newsletter, which is free and top-notch content, that is also in our show notes. Please hit the like and subscribe button if you're enjoying the show on YouTube. If you're listening as a podcast please leave us a review on apple Podcasts and tell your friends if you're enjoying it that would be helpful too and we will see you and speak to you tomorrow on day nine of wimbledon 2023 we can't wait to see you then So nice.